for our scripture reading, we'll continue in the gospel according to Luke, chapter 23, beginning of verse 26. Luke chapter 23, beginning at verse 26. Hear now the word of the Lord. Now, as they led Jesus away, they laid hold of a certain man, Simon a Cyrenian, who was coming from the country, and on him they laid the cross, that he might bear it after Jesus. And a great multitude of the people followed him, and women who also mourned lamented him. But Jesus, turning to them, said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For indeed the days are coming in which they will say, Blessed are the barren wombs that never bore and breasts which never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills cover us. For if they do these things in the greenwood, what will be done in the dry? There were also two others, criminals, led with him to be put to death. And when they had come to the place called Calvary, where there they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right hand and the other on the left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. And they divided his garments and cast lots, and the people stood looking on, but even the rulers with them sneered, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself, if he is the Christ, the chosen of God. The soldiers also mocked him, coming and offering him sour wine, and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. And an inscription was also written over him in letters of Greek, Latin, and Hebrew. This is the king of the Jews. Then one of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed him, saying, If you are the Christ, save yourself and us. But the other, answering, rebuked him, saying, Do you not even fear God, seeing you are under the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. For this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me. When you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. Now it was about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour. Then the sun was darkened, and the veil of the temple was torn in two. And when Jesus had cried out with a loud voice, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last. So when the centurion saw what had happened, he glorified God, saying, Certainly this was a righteous man. And the whole crowd who came together in that sight, seeing what had been done, beat their breasts and returned. But all his acquaintances and the women who followed him from Galilee stood at a distance, watching these things. Now behold, there was a man named Joseph, a council member, a good and just man, 
He had not consented to their decision indeed. He was from Arimathea, a city of the Jews, who himself was also waiting for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. And then he took it down, wrapped it in linen, and laid it in a tomb that was hewn out of the rock, where no one had ever lain before. And that day was a preparation, and the Sabbath drew near. And the women who had come with him from Galilee followed after, and they observed the tomb and how his body was laid. And they returned and prepared spices and fragrant oils, and they rested on the Sabbath day according to the commandments. As far the Lord's the reading of the Lord's word, and may the Lord add his blessing upon his word. <clears throat> and you may be asking, shouldn't you read a little further? On a day like today, shouldn't we read at least to the resurrection? But no, we need to take a, a moment here and stand with these women at the cross. And we need to stand with these women at the tomb of the Lord Jesus. We need to stand beside them as we also are faced with the reality of death and the reality and a reminder of our own mortality with the fact that we are like the grass that grows up and withers away. And we need to consider the hope that the Lord here gives to His people. And that we also need to be anchored in that hope that is found in the death of the Lord Jesus Christ, as He also was laid in the tomb. And to help us consider these truths, in the Lord's providence, we will continue with our study of the Catechism, which brings us to Lord's Day 16, on page 44 in the back of your Psalters, if you can please turn there as well, on page 44 in the back of your Psalters, because this helps us to answer many of the questions that arise in our hearts. <clears throat> This book, rightly, is often called the Book of Comfort because it summarizes many of the doctrines of Scripture that bring great comfort to the believer. So question 40 on page 44 asks, Why was it necessary for Christ to humble himself even to death? The answer is because with respect to the justice and truth of God, the satisfaction for our sins could be made no otherwise than by the death of the Son of God. Question 41 asks, why was he also buried? The answer is thereby to prove that he was really dead. And question 42, since then Christ died for us, why must we also die? And the answer is our death is not a satisfaction for our sins, but only in an abolishing of sin and a passage into eternal life. And question 43 asks, what further benefit do we receive from the sacrifice and death of Christ on the cross? The answer is that by virtue thereof, our old man is crucified, dead and buried with him, 
that so the corrupt inclinations of the flesh may no more reign in us, that we may offer ourselves unto him a sacrifice of thanksgiving. And question 44 asks, why is there added he descended into hell? The answer is that in my greatest temptations, I may be assured and wholly comfort myself in this, that my Lord Jesus Christ, by his inexpressible anguish, pains, terrors, and hellish agonies, in which he was plunged during all his sufferings, but especially on the cross, has delivered me from the anguish and torments of hell. So I wish to consider this morning under the theme of faith in Christ's death. Faith in the death of Christ. This Lord's Day deals with the last steps of his humiliation. We considered his incarnation as he came into the world, a suffering under Pontius Pilate. And this Lord's Day has the last three steps, which is his, his crucifixion, his death, and his burial, and his descent into hell, as it is called, when he faced that, the hellish agony of God's wrath against the sin of all humanity. So first we will consider the, the death of Christ. Because we confess and believe that Jesus was a real person, both fully God and fully man on this earth, and he died on the cross under the Roman rule, the Roman authorities. <clears throat> and even today there is undisputable evidence about Christ. At the time of Christ there was Tiberius, who was the Roman emperor, and there's maybe ten sources that have his name cited in history, whereas the Lord Jesus has about 40 sources that cite his name and that he lived and that he died on the cross. And so there's undisputable evidence outside of Scripture even. But the question then is why did he live and die? Because when he was crucified in, in the chapter that we read in verses 48 to 49, it says that the whole crowd was there witnessing his death and all his acquaintances, verse 49 says, and the women who followed him from Galilee stood at a distance watching these things. So there was Mary, his own mother. And there was Mary Magdalene. There was Mary, the mother of James, the less, and Salome. And his own disciples stood around as well. And they all felt that pain. They all knew that separation, especially since they had put all their trust in Him as their Savior. And now all they could do was stand at a distance and watch. And as we are also faced with the reality of death in our midst, we feel that real pain, that real separation. We are reminded again of the frailty of our own life. Death is unstoppable. It's the wages of sin. And God who gives life also takes it back to himself. Because he told Adam, the day you eat of that fruit, you shall surely die. But here, why Jesus? Why the Son of God on the cross? Verse 41, the thief said, we indeed are receiving this justly, for we receive the due rewards of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. Verse 47, the centurion also, 
when he saw what happened, he glorified God and saying, certainly this was a righteous man. But it is that we confess that this Lord Jesus Christ, that when he came to this earth, he came to humble himself, becoming obedient to the will of his own Father, even to the point of death. That he came as our mediator to lay down his life as a ransom for many. That he, as a son of God, came to give his own life as a sacrifice to pay for the sins of his people. That by his death on the cross there he paid that penalty that God requires from us. And as his family stood there and watched him, he cried out, it is finished. He had satisfied God's justice fully, and He accomplished everything that He came to do on this earth. Verse 46, it says, When Jesus had cried out with a loud voice, He said, Father, to Your hands I commit My spirit. And having said this, He breathed His last. He gave up His life. He laid down His life. Why is that so important for you and I to believe? especially the day like this. It is because we believe that the Lord Jesus Christ did not die for Himself, but He died in the place of His people as a substitute for His, for His people. And now when we must stand at a distance ourselves and face this reality in our life, we have that firm hope and understanding that all those who die in the Lord are taken up into glory. As he said to the thief on the cross today, you shall be with me in paradise. It's what we read of Stephen as well in Acts 7, 55. He, when he was being stoned, he could look up to heaven. He could see the heavens open. He can see the, the Lord Jesus Christ standing there, ready to receive him into glory. And all believers also will meet that embrace of Christ as their souls leave their body and enter into glory. And why can believers have that joy and that expectation here on earth? It's because right before the Lord Jesus Christ died, he had to cry out in Matthew 27, 46, it says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus was forsaken by God. That means he only saw the wrath of God against our sin. That means he saw no favor of God, no mercy, no love there. But he took this punishment willingly. So that now, those who die in the Lord will not meet with God's wrath, but will find his favor, will find his mercy, will find his love and compassion. And they can now hear those words as Matthew 25 says, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Because the Lord Jesus died for the sins of his people, when a believer dies, as we read in the Catechism, question 42, it says, Our death is no longer the satisfaction for our sin. It's not the payment to satisfy God's justice for our sins, because that would never be possible. That would never be possible. But instead, instead, it's called an abolishing, a putting away of our sin. It's the end of all sin for all of God's people. And so death for His people is now that passageway into glory, into eternal life. 
the gateway of hope. It's the same as here, here on earth. And no one can, is, is required to pay the same speeding ticket twice. But once it's paid, it's done. No one is required to go to jail twice for the same uh, judgment. Once it's paid, it's done. And Christ has paid the sins for all His people. And once it's paid, it can no longer be required of God. A God who is so just, who is so right, and who is so good, He will never demand of His people what He has put on Christ. And so the believer's death is not a payment for sin, but a passing from this life into the next. And that's why Paul calls the, the death of a believer to falling asleep. When Stephen died in Acts 7, verse 6, he says he fell asleep. Because believers fall asleep in the Lord and their souls live on in heaven. And one day those bodies will be raised to eternal glory again. And while we must stand like those women and disciples and see death take over our loved ones. And they leave our presence. We are assured that it is not for them an iron grip of despair because death has lost its sting, but it's an entrance into glory. It's like the river of Jordan was to the Israelites as a passing over from a long journey through the wilderness into the promised land. That's a picture of the pilgrim, the Christian's pilgrim. That even though that river can be overflowing its banks, being so difficult to cross, yet God opens that way through that river to bring His people through to the promised land in heaven. And then, then it's not only an end, not only an end to this life, but it's the beginning. Forever Israel is the end of the, the years of wandering in the wilderness, the end of a nomadic lifestyle. And for the believer in the crossing the Jordan River of death or falling asleep in Christ is the end of life it fills all its bitterness and its sorrows and its pains and sin. It's the end of seeking a permanent life here. And it's laying down that old body and that old sinful flesh with all its corruption, with all its shortcomings, with all its sin. Because as you grow as, as Christians in this world, the longer you are on this journey, you become weary of sin. You become weary of the frailty of the flesh of the toils and of the pains, the weariness of the body and our weakness. You become weary of sinning against God, of not being able to live up to His law, to love with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and strength. But when you pass through those waters, that's all gone. All sin is abolished. There's not even the possibility of being able to sin anymore. And that's why Christians still need to die to leave this world and to enter into eternity. That's how the Lord comforts His people. He says in Isaiah 43, Fear not, I've redeemed you. I've called you by your name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned nor shall a flame scorch you, for I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. The Lord Jesus died. And we see, secondly, that He was buried. In verse 50, a man named Joseph of Arimathea, together with Nicodemus, he took Jesus down from the cross, 
And they wrapped him there in, in linen, verse 53 says, and laid him in a tomb that was hewn out of a rock where no one had ever lain before. It would have been very difficult for them. But the disciples and mother, I'm sorry, Mary, the mother of Jesus, and all these women, they needed to see this. They needed to see the Lord Jesus. They needed to know that Christ had indeed died. They needed to see his lifeless body taken down, wrapped in the clothes, and carried away by his friends. They needed to see him put there in the tomb. Verse 55 says, The women who had come with him from Galilee followed after. They observed the tomb and how his body was laid. And then they rested on the Sabbath. There was another question in the catechism. They needed to see him buried there to prove that he was really dead. And they mourned for him. And this is for us to see that so certain was the death of the Lord Jesus Christ that these disciples and these women did not expect him to stand up again. Even as close as disciples had lost hope, so certain was the death of Christ. In Luke 24, they said, we were hoping that it was he that would redeem Israel. And even today, all this indisputable evidence that Christ died on the cross, that even his fiercest opponents in different varying religious, religions cannot deny, even though denied, they try to deny that Christ existed, or that he was the Son of God, or whatever it may be, there's indisputable evidence that they cannot deny that there was a man named Jesus who was crucified, who died, and who was laid in the grave. And so, so certain was Christ's death. It was important for the disciples to know and for us. And in our grief, sometimes it can cause us to lose hope as well. It's because here is where our sight ends. This is as far as we can see. We cannot see any further than the grave. And then that grave had to close in front of them. And it was hidden from their eyes. They rolled that large stone over the mouth and the woman could not see Christ anymore and that's as far as her eyes can see and that's all the world can see and for the world for the unbelieving world that is the end the end of all hope but for God's children this is the beginning beginning of all peace, the beginning of all joy. And the disciples and these women, as they mourned, they did not yet understand what they saw. They never understood the significance. They never understood the significance of those words on the cross, it is finished, where he had declared that the price had been fully paid and the justice of his Father had been satisfied. They did not understand why that veil was then torn open in the middle opening the way, the access to God, showing that now the access to God's presence is open for all in, through Jesus Christ. They did not know that God had reconciled the world to Himself in Jesus Christ. Because where sight ends, faith continues. Faith sees what our human eyes cannot see. We cannot see Christ sitting at the right hand of God right now, but we know He is there. We believe by faith. We understand He has risen from the dead, that He has ascended into glory, 
And when a believer falls asleep in Christ, their faith becomes sight. With their eyes they shall see the Lord. They shall see what we can only see now by faith. And that is because what Jesus Christ faced on the cross, we confess by saying He descended into hell. We understand it to mean that He faced that, that infinite wrath of God against the sin of all humanity. That wrath that God now reveals from heaven against all unrighteousness on this earth. All unrighteousness, all failure to keep His law. That in the suffering and death on the cross, Christ there faced that inexpressible anguish, the pains, the terrors, and the hellish agonies because of our sin under God's wrath. So that now when a believer dies in the Lord, they will not see that wrath. That wrath is removed and taken away. And they fall asleep in the Lord. And they awaken the arms of the merciful God. And they can pass through death into eternal life. Because Jesus Christ has delivered them from the anguish and torments of hell forever. Christ took that in their place. But now we need to stand here and and pause for a moment. Because we also need to mention that hell is the eternal separation from the love and the mercy of God forever with both body and soul. That hell is when an unbeliever must, must face, when he faces the just wrath of God against their sins forever and ever and ever. And that is an eternal suffering and death in body and soul that no one can ever escape from. There's no second chance. There's no roads out. And we need to consider this today as well. That the agony of hell is as Christ experienced, forsaken of God, forsaken of His mercy, forsaken of His love, and faced only with His wrath. But it is here that the believer has been delivered. And when he passes into eternity, that they're immediately met with that favor and the love of God forever, where all their sin has been forgiven and taken away. And even that body of sin that they struggled with all their life long is taken away. And they're clothed with that perfect righteousness of Christ, and to be presentable before God in its imperfection and glorified. That means they're made like Christ, to be in the presence of a holy God forever. And as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, that as soon as they're absent from the body, they're present with the Lord forever, without sin, without temptations, made perfectly holy and obedient to God, perfect in love and peace and the fullness of joy. And there they're received as adopted children into the Father's house, forever home. Remember that prodigal son, when he came home, how his father received him with such joy and and the embrace, and he put on a feast for him. It's a picture when a sinner comes to God in in repentance, how they're received in Christ Jesus. But who can imagine the embrace of God's people when, when they enter the Father's house in glory? Who can imagine the glories and the banquet that is put on for all of God's people in eternity? Who can imagine the glory of the angels singing over in front of the the presence of the Lamb. When now even all the angels sing over one sinner that repents. Imagine the glorious song of the angels when sinners enter into final glory. And so it is in this life 
We are called to live by faith. We are taught to see the steps of humiliation of the Lord Jesus Christ, how he came into this world, was born, he suffered, he died, he was buried. He suffered the agonies of hell for his people so that we can be assured that all those who fall asleep in Christ have entered his glory. And that's why Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 4, but I do not want you to be ignorant, brothers, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. And when the Lord Jesus comes again in the clouds of heaven, as he will certainly do, the dead in Christ shall rise first, and those who are alive on the earth shall be taken up to meet them in the air, and it says they'll be forever together with the Lord. David knew that when his child died. He, he knew his child would never return to him, but he said, I will meet him. I will go to him. And so Paul says, therefore comfort one another with these words. And that is why the catechism also, the Heidelberg Catechism is often called a book of comfort. What is your only comfort in life and death? That I, with body and soul, both in life and death, am not my own, but belong to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, who with His precious blood has fully satisfied for all my sins, and delivered me from all the power of the devil, and by His Holy Spirit assures me of eternal life. It's a comfort of God's people. And that's the important thing that we need to consider this morning. We can all have this hope and this assurance of our loved ones who fall asleep in the Lord. We know by faith where they are. We know that they're safe in the Redeemer's hands. But now we need to ask the question, what about you and what about me? as we still live in this world by faith. Because the day will come when we also must cross that river of death. Will you pass from this life into the glory and the presence of Christ? Or will it be a river of dark dread, of an iron cage that you can no longer get out? under the eternal wrath of God for your sin, for all eternity. Never to be able to pay off your sin. Never to be able to escape the forsakenness of God. Only wrath. Only justice, judgment and justice. Because we must all cross this river alone. The women and disciples could not go with the Lord Jesus. They could only watch. We can only stand at the bedside of a loved one and comfort them with the Word of God. But when our time comes, our loved ones cannot cross with us. When the soul leaves the body, we are left holding the body. Are you in Christ today? Can you confess, I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, His only begotten Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, 
born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried, descended into hell. Can you say that your faith and your hope are here in Christ alone, that He died for your sins and not just for someone else's? Even if you cannot say this with a full confidence that you know with a full assurance that He is mine, can you say, I know that my only hope is in Jesus Christ. I believe that He died to save sinners. My trust is in Him alone to deliver me. Have you ever had to cry out, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief because I struggle. I see my weakness, my doubts, and my fears. Verse 42, that thief on the cross said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He believed. He had faith in Christ's death. He understood something, we don't know what exactly, of of why Christ died as a righteous man. He saw that he died as an innocent man, as a righteous man on the cross. And he saw that he himself was guilty. Do you see yourself as guilty before a holy and a righteous God? And do you see that Christ died as the innocent one and the righteous one instead of sinners? That he says, now come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Do you see him now that he calls all sinners and say, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved? Because he is the one who is satisfied for sins and not we ourselves. Can you say, I need him. I need the Savior. Save me from my sins. A publican in a temple, all he could do is, is cry out, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Have you learned Do you see yourself as a sinner in need of a Savior who has done it all for you? Do you cry to Him, lead me to safety and to eternal life in Thee? So I ask you again, are you in Christ today? Amen.